on page 158 of Matthew Perry's gut-wrenchingly honest and open memoir, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, he acknowledges that he has hit rock bottom. This is quite low. He, if you've read the book, there's already been many, many lows in his life, going back to when he was a young child, a small young child. But at this point, it's rock bottom. He's embarrassed by the way he's behaved. He's embarrassed by the way he's hurt family and friends, people who care deeply for him, and he cannot believe how terrible he's been. He's at the absolute worst. He's at home. His father is there. His assistant is there as well. He's sitting on a small couch in a room right next to the kitchen. He looks up from that, that couch and sees what he describes as a crinkle in the atmosphere. And he's overwhelmed with fear. He thinks this is his brain's way of saying to him that he is actively dying. He doesn't understand what's going on. For the first time in over 10 years, he offers a prayer. The last time he'd prayed had been in rehearsals for Friends when he was hoping to be cast as one of the friends on that show, the show that would go on to make him fabulously wealthy and famous around the world. He prays for the first time since then. Please, God, help me. Show me that you're here. Please, God, help me. In my years as a pastor and in my private life, I've appreciated that sometimes the most powerful and beautiful prayers are the ones with spoken, spoken with honesty, clarity, and in few words. Please, God, help me. Anne Lamott shares similar ideas in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow. Because indeed, those three words by themselves, one at a time, are prayers. Help, thanks, wow. In another book, she confesses reaching the bottom in her life, much like Matthew Perry did in his book. In, in, this, in this confession, she acknowledges all these terrible things that she had gotten involved in, and, and she says, my life was such a mess that I'm sure Jesus was tempted to drink gin out of the cat dish. I don't know what that means, but it just sounds wildly crazy. And then she says in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, that prayer is about finding the courage, no matter what our past history might be, to acknowledge that we are loved and chosen. I love that phrase, that we are loved and chosen. We are named, we are known, we're not forgotten, we are not left behind. Prayer is the courage, no matter what our past might be, to receive that good news of being loved and chosen. Well, Perry goes on in his book to describe this crinkle in, this, in the atmosphere, this wave in the air that has caught his attention so deeply, begins to transform first into a small point of light and then into a brilliant, bright, crisp, clear light that is filling the room, filling his home. He's overwhelmed by it. He can't believe how bright it is. He, he says in the book that he feels like he's standing on the surface of the sun. The, bri the brilliance of the light is overwhelmingly filling him. 
And he has this sense of euphoria that starts in his mind and goes all the way down through his body, all the way through to his toes. And he wonders to himself, why am I feeling better? Uh, do you hear? Do you hear the implied low self-esteem? He doesn't deserve to feel better. He's at rock bottom. He's, he's put himself there. It's his own stupid behavior that's caused this to happen to him. And yet now here he is in this moment, bathed in this unbelievable heavenly light, sensing that somehow he's getting better. And then he also wonders, why am I not terrified? Many times in his life, he's been overruled, overrun by fear and terror. It's the fear that blocks the love that he so desperately wants to receive. It's the fear that drives him to the addictions that he takes on in order to, to numb the pain, to push aside the fear. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had here in my office, in the hallways, here at church, sometimes over a coffee, over a glass of wine at the end of the day, where people say to me, I'm just so afraid. I'm afraid of my relationship breaking up. I'm afraid of what might happen to me in the future. I'm afraid for my job. I'm afraid. And sometimes the number one thing I hear is, I'm afraid people don't really know who I am and that I'm going to be exposed and I work everything I possibly can to keep that true self covered. I'm filled with fear. Matthew Perry in this moment is filled with euphoria. He's overwhelmed by love. He senses that this is God's presence there, giving him a, a second chance, a new chance, a, a restart on life. And then something starts to happen. After six or seven minutes, the light begins to fade and fear creeps back in. And he is scared. And he tries to take a hold of that fear and control it. After all, that's what he's done his whole life. Anytime fear was there, he'd use drugs or he'd use his personality or something else to try to get a hold of that fear and, and push it aside and control it himself. But there are mystics and holy persons who from the beginning of time across all religions <clears throat> have found a way to face that fear. Let me tell you about one of those. He's, he's a hero in my life. Do you recognize the name Eric Liddell? He was a Scottish athlete who won a gold medal in, in the Olympics for Great Britain back in 1924 in, in, in Paris. He's the center of the story of the movie Chariots of Fire. You, you might recall that, that Liddell was a man of deep Christian faith and he refused to run on a Sunday because for him that was his Sabbath. Even though that was his best race to compete in, he refused to run, ran on a different one, and still won a gold medal, won another medal in, in another race as well. He's, he's one who uh, then turned his life and became a, a missionary to China in the 1930s. When the war began, he was captured and imprisoned by the Japanese and sent to a prisoner of war camp. But even there, his light shone brightly. He organized Bible studies and reading groups and, and athletic teams and leagues so that people would have a sense of belonging, would have a sense of purpose, so that the hope in that hellish and horrible place, that hope would remain alive. 
In, in fact, he, he served his, his friends there and fellow prisoners in the camp in beautiful and amazing ways. One of them was a prostitute who needed a, books, a bookcase. Well, he collected scraps of wood from around the camp and built her a simple but, but wonderful little bookcase for her place where she lived. She said, he's the only man who ever did something nice for me who demanded nothing in return. Sadly, in 1943, he was taken on by a terrible and horrific disease. Soon his life was over. But in his last moments, before he breathed his last breath, he was sitting with his secretary, Annie, and he looked at her and said, Annie, it's all surrender. It's all surrender. I don't know if Matthew Perry knows Eric Liddell's story, but that's the exact word he uses in his memoir. Finally, in that moment when he was so desperate to control the fear, to push it aside, he just surrenders, gives up, lets go like an ancient mystic from the other side of the world. In that moment of surrender, the fear is gone. And joy fills the room. And then he begins to cry uncontrollably, but not tears of sadness, not tears of sorrow, not tears of pain, but tears of joy. And he just crumbles into the floor in a pile, a beautiful pile of tears. It's as much a baptismal moment as any I've ever read about in my ministry. This is the moment when he says, God is everywhere. Let, let's put that full quote up here so you can see it. I want it to sink in. God is everywhere. You'll just have to clear your channel or you'll miss it. Do you hear the beauty and the power in what he's saying? There's nowhere you can go where God is not already. There's nowhere. I might even write this in the words and in the, in the margins of my Bible and add it to my sacred text because in many ways he sounds like what we've already heard this morning. I don't know how well he knows the Bible, but this is an echo of Psalm 139. It sounds a little bit like 1 Peter. What, what did Psalm 139 say, the ancient poet? If I go to the highest heaven, God, you're there. If I find myself in the depths, in the darkness of hell, God, even there you're found. There's nowhere where I can flee your presence. There's nowhere where I can avoid your spirit. You know, the first time I encountered that text, Psalm 139, I was in seminary. Now, I may have heard it before. I, I grew up in the church, went to church almost every single Sunday of my life, from just about birth to age 18. I'm sure I heard it somewhere along the way, but I was in seminary when it finally caught my attention. I was in the library at Emmanuel School of Religion, working on a paper for an Old Testament class, when those words just seemed to leap off the page, grab my face and tell me, pay attention. There's nowhere you can go, nowhere where God will not be found. And the words from Peter were written to an early church, a church that was being persecuted for their faith. Members of their church were, were being beaten, whipped, Sometimes their lives were taken. They were shunned by their neighbors, ignored by, their, by those who, who they cared for. Peter's writing encouraging words to them to have the, the strength of Christ. The text I read a moment ago are the lyrics from what scholars call a Christological hymn. It's a song about Jesus. 
It's a simple word that says Jesus has gone through all of this in order to make your lives full and rich. The last line, did you hear it? Through the Spirit, he descended into prison and preached to the spirits there. In Peter's day, prison was a metaphor for hell. See what Peter is saying? You feel like your life is hell right now? Please know that God is with you in this moment. The Apostle Paul said something similar in his letter to the church in Philippi. God can be found in heaven, God can be found on the earth, and God can be found under the earth. Now, these are metaphors. They're not meant to be taken literally. We don't take the Bible literally, we take it seriously. But what they are are messages to us even today in this moment that no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hellish your your relationships might be or your family or your friends or your job or whatever else it is, there is God as well. God is present even in those dark and difficult moments in life. Matthew Perry seems to somehow have discovered this beautiful truth that even though he had put himself where he was, God refused to let go. We, we sang, we sang the, the hymn today, Come Thou Fountain, Very Blessed. It's one of my favorite hymns. There's a beautiful line in there that is a perfect summary of the gospel. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Do you hear the truth of that word? Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. We might be wandering. We might be running away, sprinting away from God. But the promise from Jesus, the promise from, from the mystics across time is that God will come to find us. No matter how hard we run away, God is always, always always coming for us. We need to be clear about something, though. The belief in a literal hell continues to pervade our culture. It continues to be found in Christian cultures around the, around the world. It's a terrible belief. It's the idea that that there is at the end of life. If you don't believe the right things about Jesus and, and understand in the right way, then you will be sent to eternal torment forever. And we not, in our church, we may not think that that's out there as much, but trust me, it is. A few years ago on social media, I posted something uh, uh, like a quote from Rob Bell about love wins or something that I, would, I say all the time that all means all, that God's love is for all. And there's nothing you can do to push away the love of God, something like that. And I received a note from a friend of mine in high school who attended a fundamentalist church, who became a fundamentalist preacher. The note said, I'm sorry to hear you've fallen away. The next line said, do you not care about your eternal soul? Do you hear what he's saying to me? You're going to hell. And you're going to be burnt forever because of your false beliefs. I was pretty tempted, by the way, to write back and say, well, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to have a lot of company. I didn't. Trust me, I, I, I didn't. And it's kind of funny, but consider this. There are people who suffer seriously because of that terrible theology. A few years ago, a man came to see me. He wasn't a member of our church, but he'd heard a sermon like this from me online or on television some, somewhere. He was a member of another congregation, 
but he wanted to talk to me. Immediately in, the, in our sit-down together, he told me that he's a gay man. He'd known since he was a young boy that he was gay. He'd grown up in a church that told him every single Sunday, he wasn't out yet, he wasn't out until his 20s, but he'd grown up in a church that told him every single Sunday that people like him, because of their sexuality, would be sent to eternal torment. He said, Pastor Miles, I'm a member of a church like yours that's open and affirming, loving and accepting. They accept me as I am, but I can't get those messages out of my mind. I'm caught up in alcoholism. I'm caught up in addiction. I use all kinds of things to numb my pain and my fear because at the end of the day, I still believe that old message is true, that because of who I am, God is going to send me to hell. That theology is dangerous. Through a few conversations and some connections, we were able to find a marvelous therapist who's helped him accept his own acceptability to recognize that he is loved and chosen. Matthew, Matthew Perry will tell you in his book that he believes in hell, but it's not something that comes at the end of life. It's something he's experienced in his own life. Sometimes because of his own failures and faults, sometimes because of the way people have treated him, ones that he thought loved him and cared for him, who abandoned him and left him alone. But he's been to hell. He can take you there. I'm fairly certain. If we did a survey of the congregation this morning and we asked everyone, have you been to hell? Oh, our experiences would be as diverse and different as the numbers in the room. But I'm certain almost everyone, if not every single person in this room, could answer that question in the affirmative. Yes. 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 That's why this word today, this ancient word from 500 years before Jesus, of the promise of God's Spirit being with us, whether we find ourselves in heaven or in the deep darkness of death, that promise from Peter that Jesus will seek us out, will come to find us, even if Jesus has to descend into hell himself, that Jesus will find us in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth, in your life, in mine, no matter where we go, no matter where we wander, no matter where we live, what happens, the, God, the Spirit of God is constantly looking to find you so you will finally accept your acceptance and accept that you are, that we are loved and chosen. And Matthew says in his book that the first step that he took toward understanding this became when he could face reality. He says, and I quote, reality is an acquired taste. <laughs> I love that phrase. In fact, that's the title for next week's sermon, the conclusion of this series. Reality is an acquired taste. And here's part of the reality and part of the sorrow of this, of this sermon and the life that we're reflecting on. He never did overcome his struggles. The New York Times reported on the autopsy that was done after his death. His body was filled with drugs. I say these words with no judgment, with no judgment. I have deep close personal friends and family members whom I love greatly 
who have the same struggles. I speak these words with no judgment. We'll, we'll face this issue more carefully in next week's sermon. But my heart is full to know that in Matthew Perry's life there was at least a moment when he received a glimpse of the undying love given by God to the universe. I pray that on this day, each of us can have at least a glimpse and by so seeing, being given the courage to live today, tomorrow, and into the future for the rest of our days, bathed in the love of God's light. Amen.